Blog Talk Radio. You got to accentuate the positive Minate the negative, latch on to the affirmative. Don't mess with Mr. In Between. You gotta spread joy up to the maximum, bring gloom down to the minimum. Have faith, a pandemonium liable to walk upon the scene. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio, and thank you for tuning in to another edition of Positively Affirmative. This is the show where we affirm you our listening audience, with education, information, and resources in the areas of self-care, career development, business building, and wealth consciousness. I am your host, Katrina Jones, Prosperity Life Coach of Satari Self-Care Institute. And today our show is Perfectionism perfectionism versus being your authentic self. And I want to welcome to the show Dr. Menage. Uh, Dr. Menage is a licensed psychologist based out of Los Angeles who has several years of experience in clinical psychology. She works with adults uh, in couples and individual therapy. Dr. Menage has a bachelor's degree in psychology, a master's degree in psychology, dual degree in clinical psychology. She uses cognitive behavioral therapy to assist clients with identifying emotions and thoughts that affect behavior negatively. Through this process, clients develop tools that can be used to reduce the stresses or the stressors of everyday life challenges. So we'll discuss how to break the habits of perfectionism, and we'll talk about the differences between being a perfectionist versus being your authentic self. Dr. Menage, thank you so much for showing up and for being on our show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Katrina, and thank you for that wonderful introduction. I appreciate it. You're welcome. I've been excited about this show and and having you on, and I'm really uh, excited about diving into this topic and and learning more about uh, being a perfection, you know, being uh, being a perfectionist uh, versus uh, being your authentic self because. Um, yeah, I didn't know it was a, you know, sometimes it's hard to know if there's a difference. And so, good topic. Doctor, will you tell us something about yourself? Uh, definitely, definitely. I, I I think you shared about my uh, professional background. I'm a licensed psychologist here in California, Los Angeles specifically. And personally, I am married and I have almost four-year-old daughter, and I'm also originally from uh, Istanbul, Turkey. So I've been in the United States uh, uh, since 1998, 22 years. Ooh. Okay. Wow, that's nice. Very nice. What, what, 
led you to become a clinical psychologist? I started uh, psychology as an undergraduate. It's actually as a course I took during my freshman year. I think it was one of those standard courses, Psychology 101. And I remember every week in the course, we would study another aspect of psychology. So one, one week will be social psychology. The other one will be abnormal psychology. And I found myself really uh, loving the variety and, and thinking to myself that this will be something that I would want to study for the rest of my college years. And, and then it led to, I then worked with kids with autism uh, for for eight, nine years, and I evolved into studying master's and doctorate program. I think also when you, you know, move, even if you're moving across states, and for me, it was, uh, you know, moving from one country to another, you really have a very different experience of understanding people and really seeing from firsthand how much we might be different based on where we grow up and the culture, the tradition, the religion, and and um, identities that we might have. So from a very personal level, I think it it was something that I I was always finding myself noticing and experience um, who we are as a person and how we show up every day. That's really interesting, and I can only imagine that um, coming from a different culture and uh, immersing yourself into a different culture that um, there is a lot to learn and a lot to explore. And it's really interesting because as Americans, my experience has been that as Americans, um, we don't learn, we don't really take the time to learn about other cultures as we should. We just expect other, everybody to be like us and, um, so that was a, a very interesting insight. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. What are some things that you do when you're not being a psychologist? There's, there's, there's sometimes not a lot to do because of the quarantine here in Los Angeles. We're still very limited. But I think the most important thing I, I love doing is meditating. I found that as I am Continuing to grow as a professional and, you know, raising my daughter, having my family, I noticed that if I don't have a balance in my life and I don't make sure that there are certain routines I do in the morning or the evening, that really has to be about me being connected to myself, spending time with myself and being in my body, sitting with my feelings, moving my body, and then unfortunately I will... Um, you know, the saying goes, you know, you start to pour from an empty cup. So for me, the most important thing I do when I'm not being a psychologist is first take care of myself as a person and and who I am, spend time with myself, journal, read, meditate, and then um, spending time with my daughter and my husband um, and and trying to do some of those things you have to do during quarantine, uh, watching documentaries and taking walks, simple things right now. Mm, okay. You know, that's beautiful. You um meditating and and journaling. So that sounds like self-care. You know, and and like you said, it's you you have to pour into yourself before you can pour into other people. So, um it's good to hear you talk about how you take care of yourself so that you can show up 
and be present for others. Mm-hmm. Yes, and one of the things I remember, you know, learning as a therapist, you know, you can't ask something of your client that you're not willing to do. And I and speaking of, you know, I think this is all going to tie beautifully to our topic today about authenticity. I think as a therapist, you know, if I recommend, you know, watching TED Talks or, you know, reading books or, you know, self-help books, journaling, meditating, it needs to be a practice that I have also tried and and decided what I incorporated to my life. So to me, that's also one of the most important things is like, as a therapist, you, you need to kind of toss the talk and walk the walk. You can't just suggest people have self-care and then you don't have anything of your own to 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 show for. Mm. Yeah, that that makes sense. And and a lot of times I believe that uh, because I'm not a I'm not a therapist, but I am a, a life coach. I'm a coach, and I believe that our uh, our our clients they can tell you know when we're not really showing up and being authentic. Oh yes, so. they sure can. They sure can. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I'd like to I'd like to ask you exactly what is a psychologist and what is the role of a psychologist? Uh, definitely, there are. Um, I do want to explain that the way I'm going to describe it is some of the um, roles and regulations that is in California. I I know that sometimes in different states there are different um, kind of categories. So here in Los Angeles. Um, there are different levels of mental health professionals. So you might work with somebody who is a marriage and family therapist, uh, MFT, and then they, you can also work with a mental health professional who is a licensed psychologist. So a licensed psychologist means that the person has completed their doctoral degree in psychology and have passed their licensing exam to be a psychologist. For a psychologist, obviously the standard a service that we offer is um, therapy. So it could be one-on-one individual therapy to a child, teenager, or an adult. We offer couples therapy to two partners uh, of any background, or we offer family therapy. And these can be sometimes behavioral therapy, and they can be sometimes talk therapy, depending on what brings you to, to therapy. Um, like for example, if you're struggling with something like attention deficit, Behavioral modifications are more necessary, but if you're coming in for, you know, like couples relationships, some talk in addition to some behavioral techniques. The other thing about psychology, another um, service of psychology is that we can do evaluations and assessments, Um, like assessments like you can work with a psychologist to have an assessment of any intellectual disability any any learning disability, autism diagnosis, of uh, attention deficit diagnosis. So those types of things are done by working with a psychologist. Evaluations can be sometimes, you know, immigration evaluation, or if you're going to have some sort of a surgery done. Uh, sometimes a psychological evaluation is done to assure that you have the, you know, you're in a healthy mental state. Uh, one thing that sometimes I know it gets confusing is psychologists cannot prescribe medication. Those are done by psychiatrists. Okay. And I remember when we talked before, um, you know, we talked about how 
anybody and everybody can benefit from um, from therapy from time to time. You don't necessarily have to have a, uh, you know, um, on the spectrum, you know, a severe uh, mental health issue in order to, uh, in order to choose to see um, a psychologist. There's such a stigma about uh, seeing a, uh, you know, being seen by a psychologist. Can you talk a little bit about that? It really, you, you said it really wonderfully. I think it really comes down to the stigma. I'm afraid we still believe that one must have a, a severe problem. Like it must get really bad for me to go see a therapist. Like the problem must be really unmanageable for me to seek out therapy. Um, and, and I must be crazy to get therapy is still a belief system we have, and unfortunately, it's sometimes reinforced by our cultural messages too. And that is, that is something so important for me. You know, when I um, have a social media a page, uh, it's so important for me to share information that really normalizes therapy. Um, that seeking therapy means that you care about yourself and you want to, you know, what therapy is is that you're just investing in a time and place to take care of you. It's not any different than an hour you spend at the gym where you take care of your physical health. So you spend an hour a week to take care of your mental health. Um, I always, you know, I always look at the differences between how we approach our physical health and physical goals and how we neglect our mental goals. Like with our insurance plan, this may sound silly, but I, I always remember like with our insurance plan, if we have a dental it says, you know, you get two x-rays or two teeth cleaning uh, sessions per year. It's already inputted in there because they know it's good for you to get checkups. How come we don't have the same mentality for mental health? Why don't we give ourselves permission to have that routine, which again, with routine comes normalization, that it is not out of the ordinary for me to have an appointment. It is not out of ordinary for me to see a therapist. Um, and it also reminds me, uh, there's a quote by uh, Dr. Brene Brown, one of my favorite authors, who, um, you know, her first book was titled Gifts of Imperfection. Um, so you can tell why I probably love her book and her work. Um, mm -hmm. I have heard her say, when it comes to, you know, like therapy, and when it comes to like personal development, she once said, if you think you can do this work alone, you don't understand what this work means. You're not supposed to do this alone. You're supposed to do it like relationally with another person and you don't have to work, go through this alone. That is beautiful. That I like that. I like that. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that kind of leads us into our topic. Um, what is, what is perfection perfectionism, and am I, am I saying it correctly, um, what is perfectionism and what are the traits of being a perfectionist? I think it's a great place to start with a definition because I, I, I think you were commenting on in, 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 in initially that I think we misunderstand perfectionism. We think mm -hmm. perfectionism is just a cute word for um, or a fancy word for, you know, 
to for for doing our best or for being a high mm-hmm. achiever or being responsible and they are not the same thing being responsible is not same as being perfectionist and doing your best is not the same thing as perfectionist perfectionism is this chronic and consistent mindset and it's it's a mindset and an attitude where there is a consistent drive to always achieve more always to do more, to do everything perfectly and without a flaw. So what happens is that when you start to get caught up in perfectionism, you start to always expect yourself to do things flawlessly. And you think, I must do it alone and I must do it perfectly. And underneath it is this belief that if I do everything all by myself and perfectly, then I am finally enough. I am finally worthy, adequate, competent. So there is obviously what's underneath the perfectionism is the desire to prove oneself to themselves or to others that I, I am worthy, I'm enough, I belong here. And, 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 and so pretty much our value ends up being tied around how well we do things. And we truly measure our worthiness based on uh, how well we do things and based on our productivity. Mm. Okay. Wow. Yeah. You know, for, this was, you know, years, years ago, um, I used to think it was good to be a perfectionist. So, you know, yeah, you know, I want to be number one. And, but what I, what I found as I began to learn and, and, and grow what I found is that it led to an unhealthy sense of competition. Yes. Uh, whether, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and it just wasn't it wasn't necessary. And and I think the most important thing is that it wasn't healthy. Um, you know, it just wasn't healthy. And so, um, yeah, that that definition is really good. And I think a, a lot of people don't understand that. Uh, it's okay not to be perfect. You know, we're 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 not going for being perfect. Um, what does it mean I, to be your? Go ahead. Oh no, I just wanted to add because uh, I think the reason that perfectionism um, sticks around is because we literally think if I don't, if I'm not perfect, I don't know how else to self-validate. If I'm not perfect, I don't know how else to feel self-love, and I don't know how else to know that I am a good person. And so perfectionism almost becomes this proof, because if I just do everything perfectly, then I will finally feel or uh, finally uh, have the proof that I am good, and that's when I think we seek out perfectionism, and it does absolutely lead to exhaustion, burnout, stress, anxiety, depression, and that's the other thing with perfectionism. Perfectionism it doesn't only make us work harder, but it actually can also paralyze people. If you think to yourself, if I go ahead and start to write this blog, and I must do it perfectly, then that's a very intense end goal that can actually paralyze you. And a lot of procrastinators are perfectionists. It's actually because their perfectionist mindset is so, uh, 
it's, it's so unrealistic and unattainable. So one of the traits of perfectionism is that somebody who has very high expectation of themselves and other people and someone who does not like mistakes and gets very triggered by ma- making mistakes. So they avoid making mistakes. They think that that's bad. Um, so it must be 100% completed. It must be 100% excellent. If I you know, send you an email and everything in there is right on, but I typed, uh, I made a grammatical error or I, a name or a number, let's say I'm an accountant and I have to, you know, share some numbers with you and I missed a zero. We think that now that email is a waste of time and it was, you know, piece of, you know, blank. Um, so we, a perfectionist, so the one way that you can tell if you're a perfectionist is that how do you respond to mistakes? How do you react to making mistakes? Um, and and perfectionists tends to be very detail-oriented as a result of it, right? Because they're looking for making sure every single thing is great and without an error. So there's a lot of, like, you know, detail-oriented. They're hypercritical. Um, they tend to always stay busy because there's, again, this, pursuit of always achieving more so they never rest um self-care mm-hmm. is non-existent they have a really hard time relaxing um mm-hmm. I, I always say like you know the perfectionist never takes a sick day uh, always on the go and they um when you think about also the fear of making mistakes and pursuing any error as this detrimental threat you also tend to play it safe you also tend to be afraid to take risks or ask for something because you don't want to hear no. So you do anything to avoid rejection. You do anything to disappoint people. Um, you avoid disappointing people. So you tend to play safe. Hmm. And, you know, I have to say that I find myself on a spectrum um, perfection, 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 perfectionalism <laughs> where I, you know, mm-hmm. I really have to be mindful of, um, of that being self-critical of myself and others and of, of relaxing and, and, uh, you know, and telling myself that we learn from mistakes, you know, it's okay to make a mistake, you know, what the, you know, what was the lesson? What was the lesson in this? And, um, so a lot of those traits that you talked about, um, it's, it's, you know, it's, I, it's true. <laughs> it's very and I, true. That's a great, that's a great point you made because I know sometimes when people hear perfectionism or any other category, our mind goes to very black or white thinking, right? We think, am I, do I have it or do I not have it? It's a yes or no thing. And I often tell people that when I list you all these traits of perfectionism, there is no, you know, there's no scoring. There's no, if you have five or more, you are moderate perfectionist. If you have eight or more, you are a high perfectionist. It's more of understanding how is it showing up in my life and to what extent does it show up in my life? So for example, from those traits I just mentioned, I might only engage in two of them. But if I'm engaging in those two of them 24-7 in all areas of my life, from my marriage to my business to my parenting, then perfectionism is everywhere in my life, you know? And it's mm-hmm. not just like, but, but you only have two traits. Who cares if I have two or 20? 
It's how often it's showing up, how, how frequently I engage in it that we really need to really study and not get caught up in, you know, how many as if that's, that's some sort of like indication. It's, it's really about like how it shows up in my life and which relationships does it affect. Um, and that's the other thing about perfectionism that I also find out that I read Dr. Brenna Brown's Gifts of Imperfection, which really started my awakening of my own perfectionism in my 20s. And now in my late 30s, I am a mother and I realized how much I had to battle not to be a perfect mom. And I had to figure out what it means to be an authentic mom. And I needed mm. to understand what it means not to be a perfect working mom, but I had to be authentic working mom. So perfectionism, wow. unfortunately, never leaves you alone. And as soon as you take on something else that you care about, it's going to say, oh, so you care about your daughter? Well, let's make sure you do it perfectly. No, I don't have to do it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, then what, is, what, um, what does it mean to be your authentic self? So easy or simple answer is the opposite of perfectionism. And so mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and take some of those traits and speak of what would the opposite be. And you really gave wonderful examples. So someone who's authentic is someone who's not afraid of any of their shortcomings, any of their imperfections. Because what happens also with perfectionism is that you want to hide any imperfection. You want to hide anything that you are not great at. So authentic self says, here are the things that I'm great at. Here are my, you know, talents. And here are the things I can ask for help. Here are my shortcomings. Here are the things that I struggle with. And being able to accept, recognize, embrace ourselves as a whole is one of the ways that we can be our authentic self. And there are, again, behavioral things we can do, like delegate things. You don't have to take on everything. Give yourself permission to rest. Taking a break is not selfish. Self-care is not selfish. So you can say to yourself, am I living my authentic life? It would mean, you know, do I have balance in my life? Do I, do I find myself always occupied by what other people think? Or do I actually, you know, listen to my own inner voice, listen to my own inner needs? And having that, again, uh, connection with your feelings, your internal experiences. And, again, the examples you gave are, are so so such good ones in terms of your mindset, you know, um, failure is a lesson to learn from everything Mm -hmm. I go through, you know, it helps me grow. So I think living an authentic life requires us to have mindsets that are healthy for us. That is flexible. That is about growth mindset, not fixed mindset, for example. Wow. I, you know, that, that, authentic self that just resonates so much with me and it makes me want to really explore you know how what does it mean to be an authentic mom you know what does it mean to be you know to show up as just an authentic um just an authentic person you know what does that mean and and you know it just seems like what release 
it it is to know that I could just be me and that I can learn who I am and be okay with it. Um, that I think that's huge. I think that's huge. Yes, yes. It's it's it is like two things you said that really stood out to me is like learning who we are and then being that person that we find out who we are. Um, especially with the quarantine, you know, we all, there are, you know, there are differences the way we respond to it. And there are different ways that we take care of our house. And there are different ways that we play with our kids. And it really is about owning what is, I think authenticity is also connection. So if you're authentic, it feels right. Like it just Mm. feels like, oh, this is the place I I needed to be, right? This is what I needed to speak. Like when we are not being authentic and people-pleasing, we say yes to something we should say no to. And then what happens? We go home and we're so annoyed and agitated that we said yes to something we wanted to say no to. So authenticity Mm -hmm. is speaking your truth. Beautiful. takes a lot of courage to be authentic. It really does. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of curiosity and Ooh. willingness. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. How does perfectionism get in the way of living your authentic life? It, it gets in the way because I think it doesn't allow it. Because by definition, authenticity means that we embrace ourselves who we are. But perfectionism says, no, um, only the good parts of me gets to be seen and shown. The parts of me that is, you know, the edges of me that is sharp or rough, then they need to be hidden. So they, they, it just doesn't go hand in hand. They're actually quite opposite. Mm-hmm. Interesting. How does one overcome the desire to be perfect and to do everything right? It's, I think it starts with first recognizing um, how it's showing up in your life. Because, in, you, because you need to change the way it's exactly showing up in your life. Um, for example, I mentioned earlier that perfectionism can make somebody be a very high achiever and always on the go and stay very busy. And then perfectionism can actually lead to somebody feeling very paralyzed and procrastinate and delay making decisions. Two people, you would want two different sets of solutions because the way it's showing up in their lives are different. I think it has to start with understanding how is perfectionism showing up in my life. I do believe that in there a self-inventory and reflection of how I come to develop perfectionism because it served a purpose for me. Um, Sometimes we grow up in very demanding or busy family environments, or we might have gone to a very, you know, um, a college or even a middle school, high school that was very competitive. And so Mm -hmm. academia tends to, I think, do, you know, feeds into that competition and comparison so Mm -hmm. I think it is important to know in therapy there's always this thing like you know sometimes you know in therapy you know it's about understanding you know 
the 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 why, but it's also understanding like what are you going to do about it. Um, so obviously, you don't want to get to you, know, you don't want to stop there. You don't want to just stop and journaling about the messages you receive that fed into your perfectionism. You also obviously want to then dive into um, what are some of the attitudes, some of the opinions I have that is feeding into the perfectionism. Because as, as a therapist, I do cognitive behavioral therapy, which is looking at the way we think. It's looking at our thought patterns. It's looking at the errors in our thoughts that feeds into the anxiety or feeds into self-doubt. So what we want to do is really make a list of your unhealthy thoughts that is feeding into perfectionism, like asking for help is, is wrong. But if I were to simplify it and I had an underlying belief that said asking for help is wrong, then I would literally need to, in my thought recording journal, rewrite that sentence to something else. Like asking for help is normal. Asking for help is good for me. Asking for help makes me better. So, so that really is learning how to change, learning how to change the way that I think. Yes, yes, perfectionism mm-hmm. absolutely because it has it has influenced the way you think. So you have to change the way you think, um, and I guess along with that, also increase positive self talk and positive. To me, positive self-talk means a couple of things. Sometimes positive self-talk means morning intentions, right? Positive self-talk means, um, you know, uh, I am here today. And, again, Brena Brown has one of these wonderful quotes that I love that says, in the beginning of the day, here's an intention you can say. No matter what gets done today and no matter what is left undone, I am enough. Mm. Yeah. And then yeah. you can end your day with a similar affirmation. Whatever got done today and whatever was left undone, I am enough. So positive self-talk wow. is these daily intentions and affirmations. And then another way of positive self-talk is validating my emotions and say, wow, I'm really having a hard time with writing this blog. Maybe I can call a friend and bounce ideas. I am having a really hard time um, speaking up at my staff meeting today, maybe I can talk about my anxiety with a trusted friend. So self-talk mm-hmm. is also about validating our emotions because perfectionism say, oh, I don't have time for this. Perfectionism say, I don't, have a hard, I don't have time to, you know, whine and cry about this. And positive self-talk, self-compassion, self-love means I see my emotions. I hold my emotions and I comfort my emotions. Wow. Interesting. Now, as a psychologist, you talked um, a little bit about, well, you talked about cognitive therapy and how it helps to um, look at the errors in in your thinking and you, you know, learn how to to change your, your, you know, your thinking and your thought process. Um, when you do as a, as a psychologist, what is your therapy process? So therapy process, there are a couple of steps actually. So obviously, often people may find me through a Google search. They might find me on a you know a Yelp page. 
or some online directory. And I hope that, you know, when you find a therapist, you visit their website because they, there is a lot of information there about how they work or who they, may, who they often work with. And so you can gather some information. But the very first thing that I always encourage everyone to seek out is a free 20-minute phone consultation. And so if, if you find me and you give me a call, I will set up a, a phone consultation with you. And I, add, you know, I might text message you and say, when is a good time where I might email you? So during the phone consultation, there's two things that um, I like to do. And I always ask people, like, if you're looking for a therapist, make sure to do this phone consultation. Number one is that you want to tell them a little bit about why you're seeking therapy, because you want to make sure that your therapist does understand some of the pain points you have. For an example, uh, one of my specialties is obsessive compulsive disorder. I seek out ex uh, extra tra uh, training and certification for it. So I would, uh, I have great training and knowledge to work on people with obsessive compulsive disorder, but I don't work with people who struggle with an eating disorder. So you really want to make sure that the therapist knows a little bit about what brings this therapy because they really want to make sure they are the right fit for you. And mm -hmm. along with that, as a therapist, I also tell people of how I combat therapy. I tell them about cognitive behavioral therapy. I tell them that, that as a therapist, I will be engaging with you and interacting with you. It's not going to be that, you know, what you see on TV where I am dead silent the whole 50 minutes it's actually going to be us conversing and me pointing out to you things that I see because I'm here to connect dots with you. I'm here to make discoveries and find solutions. So I would say, you know, do you think A and B are connected? And maybe that way it leads to C. So therapy is about making discoveries. And in order to make discoveries, we have to exchange ideas. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So as so as a therapist, you're exchanging ideas with your with your client? Exchanging, yes, ideas and um and I always like I would the way I say it is that like I might have an idea but I will run it by you because I think as a person you know what resonates for you. You know what will be the right fit for you. You're the expert of your life and you are in charge of your life. As a therapist, I'm coming in with my training and knowledge and obviously our relationship to um, explore things with you. So I would say, uh, you know, it sounds like every time you go into your family's house, you feel attacked. You know, like I might point observations. I might point out patterns I see. And it's up to the person to decide if those are accurate uh, patterns and they are problematic patterns for them and for them to evaluate what they wish to do about a pattern we might uncover in therapy. So I, I should also say, during these phone consultations, again, I like to introduce myself and hope that a person can decide based on how I sound and how I speak, you know, is this somebody that they would like to meet with? If they decide to move forward and officially start therapy, we would schedule our first appointment. And typically, the first two to three sessions, I, I have to be honest with everybody, it's it really does take two to three sessions to get get enough information about a person. You know, it's never just one appointment. It's never just the first session. 
And then, so it takes two to, th two to three sessions to ask a little bit about your home life, your work life, a little bit about your history, a little bit about, you know, your future, your past. And then after third session where we gathered some, you know, enough information to create a roadmap. And what the roadmap is, we want to prioritize. Where should we start? And what is the first short-term goal we want to achieve? What might be the next goal we want to address? What might be the long-term goal? And, and obviously discussing how we're doing because we want to know when do we want to end it, when we want to, you know, wrap it up. Um, but I also love to tell my clients that it's not necessarily a goodbye for me when we terminate. It's more like hopefully I'll see you later because, again, speaking of normalizing therapy, it's like I hope people don't go into therapy with this underlying thought that, oh, my God, I can't wait to get out of it. Like, I can't wait to graduate from therapy and, quote, unquote, put it behind me. It's more like, to me, it's more like you're on this path. I happen to join you and walk with you. There might come a point where you say, hey, I don't need to walk with me anymore. So I will kind of like, you know, leave you alone and walk away. But then hopefully, you know, there might be another time in your life you would want, want that want that guidance and want that want that support so we will reconnect again that's interesting as you as you were talking it reminded me of having like when you have an attorney on retainer <laughs> you know it's like you, you know <laughs> yes. yeah it's like have you know it's like you know it's like you said well you know i may be i you know right now in my life i i i may feel balanced and i may feel like i you know i i can i've got things under control but then there may be times where things get kind of overwhelming or a, a situation or circumstance happens that I may need help kind of sorting through and dealing with and processing. And, you know, therapy is a tool. Um, you know, therapy is just a tool that can help me, uh, you know, to, to grow. It really, really is. And that's the, you know, that reminded me another kind of stigma some of my clients have experienced when I am their second therapist in their life, like they have worked with therapists mm -hmm. before. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, not all of them, but sometimes people feel like, oh, my God, if I'm going back to therapy, that means I have regressed. Oh, my God, if I'm going back to therapy, that means I lost everything I learned the first time. And we really forget that life is moving forward, right? Life is fluent and like there are going to be some, uh, you know, some intersections that we arrive where we realize, I don't know which direction I want to go. Let me, yes. you know, again, see, seek out. Um, again, I can't go back. I, I just can't help but go back to, you know, that quote by Brandon Brown. It's like, you don't have to do this work alone. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. I like it. How do I know if if I may benefit from therapy? I think there's a couple of ways to look at the benefits of therapy. One is, I guess, the standard. I you know standard evaluation of are you seeing progress in certain areas in your life? Typically, those being you know improvement in your mood or feeling like you have more skills in managing 
your mood, your relationships in your life. So it does, you know, you can ask yourself, am I seeing the changes in myself that I wanted to see? I think big part of getting something out of therapy relies on, <clears throat> excuse me, what you do in between therapy sessions. <clears throat> and so I, I, I want to, again, give an example from a physical, physical goal. Like you go to the gym, and then in between your workouts, you hit, you hit a burger joint, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> or you hit an ice cream shop. Well, that's not really going to help you sustain the things that you did at the gym. So similar to therapy, you know, you go to a therapy session and you might really have a very deep, accountable, real conversation with your therapist. Like you're, you're not being guarded. You're not, you know, you're letting go of your walls and you're really, really digging deep. And let's assume that that hour was, you know, real and authentic and, and there was a lot of movement. But what are you doing after that hour is done? What are you, I always tell my clients, like, what are you doing to take this conversation that happens inside my four walls of my therapy office to your life? Because your life is happening outside of my therapy office. I like that. So, you know, it's like you, you learn the tools and the skills in therapy, but then when you leave out of therapy, then you have an opportunity to really practice those skills and, and, you know, those things that you that you learn to you know the, those reflections and and again those skills put them to the task put them to work to see um, you know is this let me do the different hmm, you know maybe I can do this different or yeah it's 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 um yeah that makes sense. That makes yeah, sense. because I think anything, yeah, anything for anything to, to sustain itself, you know, it, there needs to be a change. And again, um, like life is not happening inside the therapy office. Life is happening outside of there. When you come to the therapy office, it's kind of like you're going into this little bubble to look at your life. Um, and then when you leave the office, you, you're kind of going back to life and you have to decide uh, it's kind of going back to the uh, to the ring. It's like, what do you want to do? You know, how do you want to handle it? Hmm. Well, let me ask you, what is the cost of therapy? That really varies on um, a lot of factors, uh, actually. So definitely we know that there are differences based on location and the city you live in. Um, there could be, you know, a higher rate or a lower rate based on where you're living. Uh, another thing to consider is um, insurance, uh, using your insurance. So if you work with a therapist who's contracted with your insurance, then you can utilize your insurance benefits and pretty much only pay your copay fee, which can be around $20 here in California. You know, that's typically what the copay, copay rate is. Um, so that's one way to find affordable um, therapy sessions is to work with somebody who is taking your insurance. But then when you work with somebody who is not contracted with your insurance, you also do get a chance to work with people who specialize in certain things like, you know, um, addiction or eating disorder. Uh, so you can find therapists who have specialties when you pay out of pocket. The other thing to consider is the level of training. So, for example, I have a 
an employee. I have an unlicensed uh, therapist working under my supervision because she's working towards her licensure. She has her master's degree. And because she's working towards her licensure, she can afford, I mean, she can offer a lower fee. So sometimes you can work with therapists who are in training uh, that can work within your budget. So those are a few, few things to consider when you're doing your research. Hmm. Okay. Um, so if I can't afford therapy, um, is there a way that I can learn more about topics and solutions that may help me? And there really is. This is what I'm so proud of, kind of our, our you know, current situation and culture is that there's so many free resources, and I'm so proud of referring them to my clients. Uh, first mm-hmm. off, they self-help books. I think there are wonderful, wonderful authors that have written great books that can really walk you through their workbooks. You know, you, so you can purchase a self-help book that's kind of just reading, or there can be workbooks you can take, um, purchase and fill out. There are podcasts. I always recommend my clients to listen to podcasts related to topics they're working on, whether that's codependency, boundaries, you know, motivation. Um, definitely meditation is something I encourage everyone to practice. So there are apps you can download, like Headspace is one of them. Calm is another one. Or you can just YouTube YouTube guided meditation, and there is, like, guided meditation for mornings and evenings. Um, And there are also, you know, um, I know we, you know, everyone knows of AA Alcoholic Anonymous, but Mm -hmm. uh, they have other groups like Codependent Anonymous. There are free groups. There are Emotional Anonymous groups. So there are a lot of free support groups that also be happening in your area that you can research. And I also think that the digital courses can be a good addition. I'm actually working on one on perfectionism. So there are digital courses that I think could be a good addition. Okay. When you say you're working on one, do you mean like you're taking a course or you're creating a course? I'm creating one. I am working awesome. on developing a course on breaking up with perfectionism. Hmm. Okay. Awesome. All right. So it sounds like there's a, a plethora of resources. Um, but, you know, one thing that you said in the beginning that um, is just ringing true to me as we talk is, um, you said that you didn't use it. You didn't use this word, but what stands out to me is that you have to be willing. You have to be curious, is what you said, and um, and I see that um, you can't just wait for something to happen. You have to be willing to take the initiative and um, you know want to find the solutions to um, you know. Well, first of all, you have to you know there are times that you have to realize that there is a problem. <laughs> and yes, once, yes. You, <laughs> once you realize there's a problem, then you have to be willing to seek out a solution. And um and that does take a willingness and a, a curiosity um about your life and a and a, a desire to to want to be better. It does. I think it requires a lot of motivation and a lot of openness to 
do this hard work because I do realize that as I've done for myself, you know, I, you know, therapists go to therapy. So I've been going to my own therapy yeah. and that's, you know, I've, I know my therapist for eight years, you know, so I see her on and off depending on what, where I am in life. And so yeah. it, it is hard to sit with ourselves. I know it's not easy work. It is hard to tolerate um, the discomfort of knowing our flaws and imperfections or mistakes because mistakes are obviously something that disappoints us and mistakes are something that kind of like, oh, it hurts to see the way I yelled at my kid or the way I, you know, the, the way that presentation didn't go well. It hurts me actually yeah. inside. So I know it's not easy to do that work and that's when it does require for us to be very clear to why we're going to do this work. Like, I think you need to know your why. Why am I going to let go of perfectionism? Because it makes me unhappy. Why am I going to let go of perfectionism? Because I'm lonely. I'm not connected to anybody. Or, 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 or that my life doesn't look like mine anymore. Like, that is a good damn reason to let go of perfectionism. So we do need to know our why. And maybe also yeah. need to write it down somewhere. Like, maybe do a vision board so that we can remain curious. We can remain motivated. We can remain energized to keep standing tall. And that's what I think I said earlier. You know, perfectionism can get triggered at so many different times in my life. As long as I'm doing something new, perfectionism will be like, well, should I make sure you do it perfectly? No, 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 no. So it's something that I always have to stand tall and keep an eye for. Mm -hmm. You said a couple of things that to me were very powerful. Um, you know, when you feel like my life doesn't look like mine anymore. Wow. <laughs> it's so easy. It's so easy to happen and it, it's like yes I, I need to make some changes I, I need to figure out what do I want my life to look like and what am I willing to do to have the life that I want for myself so that was huge and then you said you know therapists get therapy so it's not like you're this all-knowing being up here with all the answers, it's like, no, you know, I have to work out my life too. And I have issues and also, but the tools that I'm using and the tools that I know the science based tools, I want to share this with you so that you can get benefits. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Mhm. Mm how can we, um, uh, Dr. Minaj? How can we contact you if we are interested in uh, learning more about your work, uh, contacting you for your services, or uh, you have some pretty nice resources on your website as well. Yes, I would say that the website would be a good place to start, and it's www.embracingyoutherapy.com, and on there, there are free resources I have. I have a five-day challenge on overcoming anxiety. I have information on perfectionism, and I have a self-care uh, routine, so there's a lot of free resources there. 
And over there, you can also find links to my Instagram where I share educational motivational information, which is dr.menige. So it's Dr. Menige. It's dr.menige. Um, on my website, you can also find a link for my YouTube. Um, so I would say the website might be a good place to find everything you may want to um, want to get out of my work. And I have all sorts of free resources, blogs that I know it will be a, a supportive thing for anyone's uh, personal personal work they might be doing. Perfect. Um, I went on your website. I've been on your site a few times, and uh, you do a lot of resources. So thank you for that. Um, are there any last thoughts that you'd like to to share with us? So what, what I might maybe leave it with is to let everybody know that it's really worth it. Like doing this work will worth it. And sometimes I think we don't understand, you know, who we will become. Um, but it is it, it, somebody who's done the work on her own perfectionism and obviously as a therapist we watch other people um, find their true self and their authentic self. I just wanted to really um, spread the word that even if you don't know exactly how it might help you, take the first step. That's all you have to do. You don't need to know exactly what it's going to look like at the end. You just need to take the first step and do the first thing you might want to do. And that could be, again, a book you want to read on perfectionism or a podcast you want to listen to and or, or, you know, start therapy. But just take the first step. That's all you have to figure out is the first step. Perfect. Thank you for that. You gave uh, Brene Brown. You, you, you talk a lot about her. What was the name of the book that you said was such a good book? I'd like to, I'd like to look that up. Yes, yes. Uh, so the book of hers that I first read, which actually um, had its 10th anniversary this, uh, like in September, uh, The Gift of Imperfection. Okay. The Gift of Imperfection. So, Yes, so Dr. Mm-hmm. Brenna Brown, The Gifts of Imperfection, I think, is a wonderful place to start. Another one, if I may recommend, is a book called Be Curious, not, uh, so sorry, no, it's Be Brave, Not Perfect. Oh. By Rej, Rejma Sajdani, I think is her last name. I'm, 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 I hope I'm not butchering it, but... Um, <laughs> Yes, it's, uh, sorry, the book is called Brain Not Perfect. I just Googled it. Okay. Yeah, Brain Not Perfect yeah. is the title of the book. Thank you, Brave Not Perfect. Thank you. Well, Dr. Menejay, I would like to thank you so much for being on our show, and you are welcome back any time. Thank you so much for having me again. I really loved our conversation. It was just wonderful. Thank you again. You're welcome, and I'd like to thank you, our listening audience, for tuning in to another edition of Positively Affirmative. This is the show where we affirm you with education, information, and resources in the areas of self-care, career development, business building, and wealth consciousness. Until next time, have a great day. Don't mess with Mr. In-Between. Don't mess with Mr. In-Between. Ah.